All right, guys. Today we're going to be in First Peter chapter two, uh, <clears throat> verses eighteen through twenty. Okay, that's where we'll be. By way of introduction, though, I want to. Uh, I just want to give a brief, brief summary of the life of Joseph. Okay, I wrote down a brief summary of the life of Joseph because his life really is probably a, a really good illustration of, of our text today. We're going to be talking about servants and masters, slaves and masters, how we'll apply that more in our life, probably employee, employees, or employees, employers. But part of the text, really the main thrust of the text is, is that of suffering for doing right, suffering unjustly. And I think Joseph's a really good example of that in the text. So if you don't, if you, if you don't know the story of Joseph, he was the second youngest of twelve brothers, the son of Jacob. <clears throat> and Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers because he was the son of his old age. And so Joseph had made his father a multicolored tunic. His brothers hated him because of the fact that he was his father's favorite, showed partiality. And, um, and then Joseph had two dreams basically that communicated that to his brothers that they were going to bow down to him someday. And of course that made him made them hate him even more. His brothers were out shepherding their father's flock one day when Jacob sent Joseph to check on them. When they saw him coming, they decided to strip off his multicolored tunic and throw him, throw him into a pit. They sold him to some Midianite traders who were passing by for 20 shekels of silver. They, went, they, they brought Joseph into Egypt. And then the brothers lied to their father that, that Joseph had been eaten by a wild beast. Now while he was in Egypt, Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Midianites. The Lord was with Joseph and he became very successful. Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge, in charge of all that he owned. Joseph was a very handsome man, and his master's wife on a continual basis began tempting Joseph to lie with her. But Joseph refused to do so due to his respect for his master and his devotion and love for God. On one occasion, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled. And I, and I would just stop there and say, uh, any kind of sexual temptation, that's what the Bible tells us to do. And Joseph's a good illustration of that. She then lied and accused Joseph of trying to force himself on her. So just put yourself in his, put yourself in his shoes. He's been betrayed by his brothers. Now he's being lied, lied about, falsely accused. So Potiphar had Joseph put in prison. The Lord gave Joseph favor while in prison. He gave him the ability to interpret dreams, which eventually, by the providence of God, uh, he was able. He was asked to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and through the interpretation, he explained uh, how seven years of abundance would come, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh made Joseph a ruler in Egypt, second only to himself. He was in charge of storing up food in the years of plenty to prepare for the famine that was to come. When the famine struck. Even Canaan, where Jacob and his sons lived, was affected. Jacob sent ten of his sons to Egypt to buy grain. When they arrived there, Joseph recognized them, but they did not recognize him. 
Remember, these are the ones who sold him into slavery. Uh, he sent all but one back to Canaan to bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin. When the brothers returned, through, through a series of events, the brothers eventually all bowed down to him, fulfilling the prophecy of his dreams that he had had at the age of 17. After many questions to his brothers and some different tests to detect whether they had had a change in heart, Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers. Joseph pleaded with them not to be angry with themselves for what they had did, but that God had sent him to Egypt to preserve them from the famine. Genesis 50 verse 20 says this. This is Joseph to his brothers. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. What a beautiful picture of God's sovereign work, His providence, that uh, He used His very brother's sins and evil against Him to save His family. And so we see a man, we're going we're gonna to refer back to this a couple times this, this afternoon, not this morning, uh, but we see a man that was unjustly treated by his brothers, Unjustly treated, or more so, falsely accused by Potiphar, and even and even some events that happened while he was in prison. Um, but we're going to come back to that. I think it's a it's a great example of the text we're going to be talking about: a man that suffered unjustly, and to see how he reacted. So that's what I want to discuss today. Now, if you're turning your Bible, if you're not there already, First Peter chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty. If you wouldn't mind standing as I read these three verses. The exemplary employee is what the title of the message is today. <clears throat> so verse 18 says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You guys can be seated. And so before we really get into the text in verse 18, we're going to have two headings today. Really, one in verse 18 and the other in verse 19 and 20. I just want to look at that word servants for a few moments. Really, by giving us a way of context... The word service in the original, it just has the meaning of a house servant or a household slave. These servants, at times in this day that Peter's writing about, it, it's, it's really important that we remember this. It's depending upon their master. It really depended upon the master that they had. They could be treated very harshly, but they were generally many times treated pretty well. Um, and so I will come back to that a time or two the fact that, you know, anytime you're talking about slaves, it all depends on the master that they serve, right? And so, who is our master that we serve? The Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, He is obviously the, the perfect picture, or the perfect master, the gentle master. You know, there's nobody more free in this world than, than a slave of Jesus Christ. He sets us free to obey Him. He sets us free to, to really obey this text as we're going to look at today. To do those things which are right, to submit to 
unruly masters at times. So Christ is our master as Christians. And of course, we know it's a, it's a pleasure. Is it not a pleasure to submit to Christ? I hope it's a pleasure for you uh, to, to, to realize you have the privilege of submitting to a, a master like the Lord Jesus Christ. But about these servants in these days, some were untrained laborers, but others were managers, overseers, and trained members of various professions. Some examples would be nurses, doctors, teachers, farmers. It's not really what you think of when you think of a slave. The culture was different in those days. And, and so in these, different, in these different professions, these slaves, these servants, they would serve the family. They would serve the household. And so many of these folks were made slaves by being captured in wars in earlier Roman history or through kidnapping. But by the first century, by the time of Peter's writing, most of these slaves were born into it. They were born into slave households. And so others may sell themselves into slavery if they were facing difficult times. It was much better to be a slave in these days than to be um, at times a, a, a common laborer. I'm forgetting the term that you used. I didn't have it written down. But yeah, they would, they would sell themselves into slavery because it would be better for them. Think of them, this word servant, as a, as a semi-permanent employee. Okay? Without legal or economic freedom. And so as the Gospel was spread throughout the Greco-Roman world, a large majority of converts in this time were, were slaves, were these servants. And so again, it all depended upon the master that they served, whether they were, depending on how they were going to be treated. But some slaves were actually treated like family. So it could be really good for some and really bad for others. And then the word master, it's real important to understand what that means. It's just a, a term that means unlimited power and authority of a Lord. They had unlimited power over these servants. And so again, the title of the message, really the closest thing in our day, there's not an exact comparison, but it would be an employee slash employer relationship. And so in verse 18, we're going to look at our first heading today. Uh, verse 18 we're going to look at faithful submission in verse 18. Faithful submission. Verse 18 again says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, <clears throat> not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. The word submissive, it's a present, passive, participle, and being a present imperative at the same time. I hope I said that right. Present passive participle and a present imperative. In other words, it's a continuing action. Be submissive. A continuing action. I think even more so, a continuing attitude. It's an attitude that we have. In this case, with these folks here, it was an attitude of accepting their legal and economic authority over their lives. That's what he was calling them to. And so really just the idea of... of, of Submission to authority, it's, it's that very thing, is it not? Accepting the authority that somebody has over us. We are to be submissive to the authority that God has placed over our lives. So that's the, that's the thrust behind that word. And it says, be submissive to your masters with all respect. That is, having a proper attitude towards their authority. Again, which would avoid... 
any type of bitterness. Now I want you to think about it. Apply it to your life. And again, I'll say this a few times, guys. We're talking about employees slash employers, but when we start getting into the text and it starts talking about suffering for doing which, what is right, it really can apply to any area of life. Whether you're, you know, if you're a stay-home mom, it can, it can apply to any of us in all different areas of life, whether we're dealing with family, when we're treated unjustly for doing right. So don't think that, well, you know, I'm staying home with my kids right now, so don't, don't check out, okay? This applies to everybody. But it's just this respect, guys, towards, towards authority. Um, again, so, so look in your heart. When you, when you think about somebody who has authority over your life, do, do, do phrases like maybe bitterness or negativity or maybe a grumbling, complaining spirit come to mind? If these, if these things are happening in our hearts, then we're not properly submitting to the authority that God has placed over us. We're not doing it with all respect. And so, beloved, why, why do we do this? Why, do we, why, why are we to be submissive to our masters with all respect? Why are we to do this? Or why, why do we do this? Over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5-7, through 7, I think Paul helps us with that, that question. So we're, we're to be submissive to those in authority over us. In this case, apply it to our employer. But, but why do we do this? As Christians, why do we do this? Ephesians 6, Verses 5-7. through seven. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord, and not to men. So as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, why do we do this? I would just say because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be our motivation, in other words. It should be as unto Christ. We'll talk, about, we'll talk more about that later as we talk about when we get into verse... or when we, talk, when we go in verse 19 especially, our motive for doing these things. We'll talk more about that. But it's our relationship with God. That's what should cause us to desire to be submissive to those in authority over us. So that's the first question. Why do we do this? Because of our our relationship with God. And then why is it so important that we submit to our our masters, to those over us, with, with all respect? Why is it so important? You don't have to turn there, but 1 Timothy 6, 1, Paul says this, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. You hear that? You hear the, you hear the reason uh, why this is so important, guys? I'm going to read it again. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God, there it is, so that, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. You want to give Christ a bad name? 
have a bad attitude towards your authorities, and at the same time, profess with your mouth that you're a Christian. That's a, that's a real easy way to drag Christ's name through the mud. Have you guys ever seen that? You know, maybe we've probably all been guilty on some level, um, but I remember just as an example, a, a man I worked with about 20 years ago on my same job that I have, and he was a good friend of mine. But he, and he was really outspoken about his faith. You know, that part was good. I, I, he encouraged me in that area, but he was the biggest complainer on the job. He griped and complained continually. And so I saw, and, and, and we had, you know, talks about it, but I, but I saw this very thing through one of the ladies in the office. I over, overheard her just, you know, it's bad enough when somebody complains and gripes. But when it's somebody who's at the same time professing the name of Christ in a very outgoing way, and I just remember her saying, again, this was somebody who did not know Christ, this lady, and she says, yeah, you know, talking about his complaining, and, and he's religious too. And you can just tell the sour taste that it put on in her mind and, and those who she was speaking with in the office. And it really just was very grievous to me. And so, not that we've not all ever been guilty, but that's, that's the reason why, guys, our witness is at stake. The Lord Jesus Christ, His glory is at stake. And, um, and so we don't want to add to that, right? We want our lives to be above reproach in these areas. And so we're going to, in verse, in verse 18, two sub-points uh, real quickly. The main point was faithful submission, and we're just going to look real quickly at to the good, but also to the bad. In, ver- in verse 18, let me get back over there. To the good and to the bad. Listen to verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So to the good, guys, not a whole lot needs to be said about that. Obviously, it's easier to submit to those who are good and gentle, right? I mean, it's, it's not very hard to, to, to submit to somebody who, who's, a, who's a good boss, who's understanding, who's gentle. The idea of being considerate, reasonable, and fair, right? And can I... Can I can I ask you this, guys? If if you do work for one of those, or if, I can't say if you if you have, unless maybe I guess maybe you could contact them. But if if you do, or when you do, let them know how much you appreciate them. Okay, let them know. You know, when you think about, uh, and, and I know there's there's some in here who have probably been over other employees. You know, I've always been the one underneath. But you know, anytime you're leading. And I've, I've found that out more being in this role the past year and a half. Anytime you're leading, whether it's, whether it's a company or a department, and uh, you have people under you guys, trust me, they would appreciate it so much. You let them know. Uh, let them know that. I have a, my boss right now, um, I, and I will mention his name. His name is Jeff Walker. Uh, he's one of my three Jeffs in my life. But, and I've told him. I, I, he's been my boss now for about, uh, let's see, what is it? About 11 years, 10, 11 years, and and I, I mean, I've just flat out told him. I said, "You're I, that I appreciate him." I mean, I've even given him a card just because I want him to know. I don't want him to ever leave. <laughs> but he's, a, man, he's such a good boss. He's so understanding. He cares about you. He's, 
I mean, He listens to you. He, he respects you. And so I, I try to let Him know that. Because working for the same company for so long, I've, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I would just encourage you guys, as the people of God, what a witness that can be to just let your, let your employers know if you got a good one, that you really appreciate them, guys. Because they need to hear that. And obviously... Um, before we before we look at real quickly those the the the, the bad ones, you know, when, when we think about masters and we think about those who are good and gentle, I mentioned it a while ago. But guys, think about our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and I just want to say at this point in the message that He is the greatest one to submit to. Okay, if if you've never submitted. To the Lord Jesus Christ, guys, he is a he is a gentle and kind master. When we think about, you know, and I, and I say it very often up here. When I think about, and you guys think about your past and your your sins and your rebellion towards God and and what we deserve from God because of that, guys, and we don't deserve anything good. Like Shiloh said, we deserve nothing but but the punishment of God because God is holy, He is perfect, He is just. And He has a perfect hatred for sin. And so our sin deserves judgment. That's what we deserve. But when we think about the kindness of God, the love of God, and that He demonstrated that love by sending Christ to this earth as a sacrifice for our sins, guys. We think that Christ being truly God, there was never a time when He wasn't God. So in case there's anybody here who who doesn't quite fully understand what happened when He came to earth, he, he has always been God. And He never ceased being God. He just took on a human nature with it. He became the God-man. Truly God and truly man. And He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He didn't have to do that. In His love and the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And He did that out of a love for sinners. And He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose again from the dead in victory, and, and God commands us to repent. That means to turn from the way we're going, turn from our sin, and to turn to His Son, to turn to this One who the Bible says is gentle. He is kind. He is merciful. The God-man Jesus Christ who gave up His life as a ransom for many. So I would, I would, just, I would just invite you to come to Him today. Urge you to come to Him today. Why would I urge you to come to Him today? Guys, because... 150,000 people die every day. And it's coming for all of us. And so, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And I would just encourage you guys, don't put it off. Do not put your eternal salvation off. Come to Christ, who is the kindest, most gentle Master that we could ever imagine. And He longs to, guys. He longs to save sinners. He desires. That's the thing about Christ, guys. Then I'll move on. There's one thing if if Christ desired to save but couldn't, but He is able. He is mighty to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. So it's easy to submit to a good master, is it not? When you have a good boss, it's a little easier, but not. But, But secondly, we want to look at Uh, But He calls us not to just submit to those that are good and and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. 
So, yes, obviously it's easy to submit to those who are good. Not so much those who are unreasonable. If you've had one of those bosses, which it seems like I've had many of those through the years, the word unreasonable literally just means crooked. Okay? Crooked. Dishonest. Cruel. Perverse. Morally evil, if that makes sense. So... And really more so in Peter's day who he's writing to, this included physical mistreatment. Uh, Some were abused sexually, some of these servants. And and any kind of resistance to that sexual abuse just brought more severe punishment. So again, some of these people were treated very, very harshly. Um, You know, you think of that word crooked. Have you ever worked for a crooked, crooked employer? Again, who's he telling us to submit to? He didn't say submit to the good, but not. You don't have to worry about submitting to these other folks. No, because that's when it gets tough. And as we're going to see in the text, that's really when we can allow the light of Christ to shine. When we're being mistreated. Um, But if you guys ever worked for somebody who is maybe a little crooked, maybe a little dishonest. I know there's somebody in here right now I've talked to Recently, in the last few days, when you think about this, um, this kind of treatment, it could be dishonesty regarding pay. It could be dishonesty regarding working conditions, hours. They're just not being fully honest with you. Uh, expectations, these kind of things. So the, the question is, guys, how do we respond? How do we respond to these type of employers? There was a man I worked for, same company, Supervisor about 20 years ago. Again, I, I, I try not to use myself as illustrations, guys, but we're talking about employers, so I have uh, my, you know, my own personal background as illustrations today, but I worked for another man 20 years ago, same company. He would tell us this. Again, I work for FedEx Freight, so we make deliveries, you know. You have a two-wheeler with you, probably a little two-wheel dolly sometimes you got to use, and I guess at that time we were running low on two-wheelers. And he told the drivers in a driver's meeting, hey, you know, because we got a lot of competitive other companies. He said, hey, man, if you see a, if you see a two-wheel dolly at one of your stops, if another driver left, go ahead and pick it up. We need more. <laughs> I don't think so. So that's not something you'd submit to. He's just telling us to steal other companies' equipment. And so anyway, you could think of a lot of examples. Because again, we're not going to get into it, but just like last week we talked about submit to the government guys, you don't write them a blank check, okay? I mean, if, you're, if your employer asks you to sin like that, you're not going to submit to that, okay? So, but we don't, we don't, I think we all understand that. Um, so, but how do we respond? Well, verse 18, right? We just saw it. Be submissive to your masters with all respect. And then in verse 19 and 20, he's going to explain it further, okay? So that leads us to verse 19 and 20. Um, the first heading was faithful submission. The second one, the second and last one we're going to look at in the last two verses is favor from God. Okay, Favor from God. Will you raise your hand in here if you, if you would like favor from God? Everybody kind of like, I mean, right? Who would not want favor from God? So, so let's look at this. In the NAS it says this. Verse 9, I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. Or just 19 right now. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up 
under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So that, that phrase, this finds favor, okay, it literally means this is a grace. Okay, this is a grace. Your Bible might, may say uh, this is a gracious thing or it may say a commendable thing, an acceptable thing. But the literal meaning means that this is a grace. And, and the, word, the word for right, right there by itself, it's a connecting word and it, it's a reason it's implying a reason or motivation for submission here. Okay? So, hang with me for a minute. This is what he's saying in this text, and then we'll, we'll, we'll try to unpack it. This is what he's saying here. God is pleased, okay? God is pleased when His children, for the sake of conscience, and we're going to talk about that more. God is pleased when His children, for the sake of conscience, submits to unreasonable masters, and then they endure the suffering. Okay? That's really the thrust of the passage here. God is pleased when His children, for the sake of conscience, submits to unreasonable masters, and they endure the suffering. Again, Joseph was a great example of that. Not necessarily in the servant-master, although he was under Potiphar, but he suffered unjustly, right? First of all, through his brothers, and then being falsely accused. He is a he is a other than Jesus Christ, I think he's probably the best example in the text of Scripture of somebody suffering unjustly. But I would encourage you, go back and read the story of Joseph if you haven't as of late. That's why it's good to read through the Bible once a year. You know, if you've got some kind of Bible reading plan, you just kind of continually reminded of these type of things. And so so again, this finds favor. It, it, it means this is a grace. Okay, so here's three ways to understand this phrase. Again, yours may say it's commendable, acceptable, or this is a gracious thing. There's three ways to understand this phrase here. First of all, is that it, it pleases God. Okay? Secondly, this phrase has the meaning of as we start looking at when we're put in, when we're treated unjustly, that He gives us the grace to endure it. Okay? And then thirdly, and all of these are true in, in my study of it, the idea that we will be rewarded by God when our motive pleases God. Okay? We'll talk about these things more. But we will be... He, he, Basically, He gives us the grace to endure it and we will be rewarded when our motive pleases God. And so the second heading was, was this whole idea of receiving favor from God. Three sub-points we're going to look at. First one is this. We receive favor from God as we have the right motive. That's really important. God is all about motive. In other words, He sees not only what we do, but why we do it. And this is in every area of life. So we're going to receive favor from God as we have the right motive. This phrase in verse 19, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows and suffering unjustly. So that phrase, for the sake of conscience. The idea, guys, it's a, it is a general awareness of God's presence in your life. Okay? So whenever you're going throughout your daily life, it's an awareness of God's presence. Do you guys have that awareness? 
of God's presence in your life, that's really going to cause us you know, to have a certain motive to do what we do. It's, a, it's an awareness of His presence. It's, it's, it's like the phrase said in Ephesians 6, 5 that we looked at. You can, whether we're talking about on the job or whatever we're doing, we're doing what we're doing as to Christ, right? As to Christ. So we're going to talk about that here in a few moments, but it's the idea of I'm submitting to this really unreasonable authority as to Christ. Not just as to impress my boss. I'm not, I'm not doing these things for eye service to please men, but my motive down deep that nobody else can see but the Lord Himself is I'm doing it for the sake of conscience. I'm aware of His, His presence and I'm doing it as to Christ. To please Christ, not as a man pleaser. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Alright. John Calvin says this about that, about that phrase. For conscience towards God means this, that one performs his duty not from a regard to men, but to God. So that's really in anything we're doing in life. We're talking about working on the job, but it, this, this is anything that we do in life. As a Christian... We should be doing it not from a regard to men, but to God. And when we do things to please God, that's going to really take care of the rest. Because if we're doing things to please God, guys, our behavior is going to be the way it should be. So in other words, ask yourself this, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? If you're a plumber in here, why do you do what you do? If you're an electrician in here, why do you do what you do? And myriads of others. Myriads of other professions in here. Why do you do what you do? Why do you want to do a good job on your job? Is it just simply to impress your boss? Maybe to get a raise? Or is it your, your greatest desire? This, this whole idea for the sake of conscience. It's an awareness that God is present and I want to please Him. As believers, that's what should be motivating us. So beloved, do you know what happens as we remain aware of His presence? And I'm not saying this is the only thing that happens, but just as I was working through this passage. You know what happens as you remain aware of God's presence, let's just say, on your job. When we, when we remain aware of His presence, what happens is we then remain aware of our purpose or of our mission that God has us in this world for. If we're continually aware of His presence, for the sake of conscience, if, we're, if we want to do things to please the Lord, then, then we're going to be aware of our main purpose in life and of our mission in life. And what is our mission? What is our purpose? Matthew 5.16 If you guys remember the words of Jesus when we went through that text uh, several months ago, He said this, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the whole idea of our purpose in life, we should, we should desire, obviously through, through getting opportunities to 
share the gospel with others, but even in our lives, we should desire to live a life that others will see our life and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so what does this look like in the workplace, for example? What I just read in Matthew 5.16, what does it it look like? Uh, I think Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us even further. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, and the first part of verse 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. That is a a beautiful passage. Listen to what it says. Do all things without... I love the way that the the NAS puts it. I know the ESV does as well. Because I I memorized that verse as a brand new believer in the NIV, and it was do all things without uh, arguing or complaining. But the whole idea of... or, Or complaining or arguing. But the whole idea of grumbling means it's... You don't even have to be complaining outwardly but you can be grumbling inwardly and it's not pleasing to God. I really struggle with that. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Is that, is that verse hard to understand? Is it, is it not easy to complain? I mean, that goes right along with our old nature. It, it's not hard to understand. Maybe a little more difficult to be faithful to. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, arguing or complaining. If you want to see how countercultural of a <laughs> of a command that is, just again, come to my place of work at, in, a, in a driver's meeting when there's 30 drivers sitting in there, and you'll see <laughs> the natural man. All they want to do is argue and complain, and so just this whole idea. And it, and it it's such a simple thing that this is how. It says in this text that we can truly demonstrate and prove that we're children of God simply by not grumbling and disputing. So that you will prove, so that you will demonstrate to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, lights in the world holding fast the Word of God. And guys, think about this. Let's just say you work a job 40 hours a week, okay, for 30 years. I don't, I've never done the math, how many hours that is, but do you realize that you are going to be accountable to God for those thousands and thousands of hours? And this is how we're commanded to, to, to act, to behave. And you think about what a powerful text this is. This is how we demonstrate that we're, that we're different. That this world's not our home. That we have a master that we want to serve. He's kind and we want to please Him. Just the idea of not complaining and arguing like everybody else does continually. You think about how God in the Old Testament punished Israel in the wilderness for complaining. Go back and read some of those texts. He punished them for all of these immorality and idolatry, but it also says because they complained. So it's a big thing in God's eyes. And it's a powerful thing. God can use us for His glory just by simply abiding by these very simple truths in Scripture. 
so beloved, all this happens when we have an awareness of His presence. Okay? An awareness of His presence. And so in verse, in verse 19, that phrase... Uh, it says, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. That, that phrase, bears up under sorrows, that just has the idea of to endure. Okay? To endure. So let me read that again. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience, right, towards God, a person endures when suffering unjustly. So God, by His grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will empower you to endure under unjust suffering. Just like He did Joseph. God will empower us. He will give us the grace. But I hope you can see, guys, I hope you can see for this finds favor, we receive this favor of God, which means even in the future we're going to be rewarded by God when our motive is right. Because if our motive is just to, well... I want to behave on the job just to please my employer because I want that raise or for some other fleshly carnal reason, God's not going to reward us for those things. We're not going to necessarily find the favor with God. Not that it's a wrong thing to do the right thing, but as Christians, we want to go deeper than that. We want to do it for the right motive as unto Christ. That's where we find the favor of God. John MacArthur said this, He said it should be of little consequence to believers what their circumstances are in the workplace, whether they they are chief executive officers or custodians, whether they receive a substantial pay raise or settle for a salary cut so the company can stay solvent. Not that those things aren't important, guys, but just listen to what he's saying. The factor of overarching significance is that they maintain their testimony before the watching world of sinners. You hear the difference? What is our priority in the job place, in the workplace? What is our priority with our careers? By way of application, guys, by way of applying this to your heart, I have to apply it to mine, you guys have to apply it to your heart. Again, doesn't just... These principles are just not about on the job. But those of you who do work in a setting under an employer, ask yourself this. Does it bother you more that you didn't get that promotion that you think you deserve? Maybe you did deserve it. Does it bother you more that you didn't get that promotion or that you did something to damage your witness for Christ? Which is more important? Those are the kind of questions we've got to ask ourselves to see where we're at in this area. It's okay. It's okay to desire promotion when you work at it and you you earn it and you deserve it. Obviously, these things are great, right? We're to go and we're to work. God provides for us. But what is most important? What motivates you at work? Is it to get that pay raise to please some man? Or is it your witness for Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that, okay? And so, so we were still under the under the second heading that we looked at, favor from God. We looked at our motive. As we have the right motive. Um, is when we find favor from God. And secondly and lastly, 
but not when we sin, okay? We, we, we receive favor from God. It's commendable before God. When we have the right motive, but not when we sin. Verse, verse 20. Now, verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? For what credit is there? Guys, that's an easy question to answer, right? There is no credit. In other words, there is no favor with God when we are unjustly treated because we sin. Right? We're just getting what we our sin deserves. The chastening of God. Discipline of God. Maybe mistreatment from other people. It, you know, it's the phrase that I use a lot, guys. There's no, there's no favor with God for being a jerk. I mean, if you're a jerk and you get mistreated, it's because you're a jerk. And so... That's an easy question. The question that Peter poses here is very easy. Of course not. There is no credit when you sin and are harshly treated. You endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patient, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It's really just a continuation of verse 19. This whole point that Peter's making here, it is obviously important to Peter. Look at verse 14 in chapter 3. Verse 14, he says it again. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Verse 17 of chapter 3. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And then chapter 4, verses 13-16. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may receive or you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And so again, it's not just an this, you know, whether you're an employee, this could be in any area of life, these principles apply. And so I think, guys, we're getting close to closing, but I think many of us, this whole idea of suffering for doing that which is right, I think many of us, we need a change of mindset. We need to remember, guys, that the Bible says we're going to suffer for doing the right thing. We should expect it. We're going to suffer at times for doing the right thing. Verse 21, he says again that the right thing. Um, I'm sorry, verse 20. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, we don't need to be surprised for suffering for righteousness sake, guys. It's going to happen if we're faithful to Christ. We need to expect it. We don't need to be caught off guard. It's like, it's like to be a good athlete, right? You must suffer. What do I mean by that? If you're going to be a good athlete, something that requires a lot of conditioning, you're going to suffer pain to get to that point. 
Right? You've got to experience pain in your training. You're going to suffer. So you need to learn. If you set your mind to accomplish something, you need to learn to rejoice in your pain, to rejoice in your suffering. It's like a change of mindset. So in the same way as believers, we, we, we have to embrace it. It's not, we don't go out and look for it, but we don't need to be caught off guard and wondering if something strange is happening to us. We need to remember the examples in Scripture. Remember Joseph. That we're going to suffer for doing good because we live in an evil, sinful world. And so, beloved, again, in closing, reflect on the life of Joseph, okay? I would really encourage you to go back and read Read about his life. Meditate on his example, how he responded. His, and, and, and when you think about it, guys, it's this very thing. It was his awareness of God's presence in his life. Do you remember, those of you who are familiar with the story, do you remember when Potiphar's wife was tempting him? And he said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? You could see right there what his motivation was. His, his motivation was he did not want to sin against his God. We, and we can see his awareness of God's presence in his life to be able to tell his brothers at the very end that you meant this for evil. What you did was evil, but I want you to see that God had a purpose for it. It's almost like, it's almost like Joseph knew Romans 8.28 before it was ever written. All things work together for good. Can you see that, how that's connected? All things work together for good for those who love Him. We need to have that mindset, guys, that we're going to suffer, but, but that we are, we, we are going to be rewarded by God, guys, when we respond in these ways, in these gracious ways, and we let our light for Christ shine. And what that also does, guys, then it opens up doors for you to minister to somebody with the Gospel in a credible way. They're going to say, yeah, man, his or her life is really different. And it may cause them to have a listening ear. So, Joseph is a great example. But obviously, Christ is our ultimate example. Which, guys, next week we're going to look at in the next few verses. Alright? So let's pray. Father, we just thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for uh, addressing these different areas in our life, Father. And thank You, Father, for reminding us Lord, just our responsibility to submit to authority, God, and how You use us, Lord, <clears throat> how You use Your people. Lord, because it's just a natural thing in the flesh to, to complain, to uh, want to take vengeance on somebody when we're mistreated, Lord. But, but what a difference Your grace makes, Father, when we, can, when we can bear up under unjust suffering, God, and we can do it graciously, Father. And we can... Point people to our Savior through the way that we respond and through doors being open, God, to, to share the Gospel. So Father, I just pray that we would apply these very simple principles to our lives, God, that we would not be surprised when we're mistreated in this world for doing the right thing. And um, we, just, we just thank You and praise You, Lord, for saving us, Lord, when we were Your enemies. And we love You and adore You in Christ's name. Amen.